Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Skip Button, a podcast all about the music you love to hate. I'm your host, Ben Barzilai. So on September 14th of this year, YouTube Premium released a documentary called This is Paris. The film offers an intimate look at the, quote, real Paris Hilton, following her early years, her family, her history with physical and emotional abuse, and most notably for the purposes of this podcast, her music career. And that made me say to myself, oh yeah, Paris has a music career. The reason I forgot is that every attempt that Paris has made to enter the music industry has been swatted away as a cash grab, another source of revenue for a person who's already too rich, one that shouldn't be given any critical attention. And the critical attention it has received has been mostly negative. But how objective are those critiques? Because Paris Hilton has a ubiquitous brand and is one of the first people to ever be considered as famous for being famous. Criticizing her for being spoiled, stupid, and shallow has been an American pastime for nearly two decades. So my question today is, did critics and the public turn down her music before ever giving it a chance? This is kind of going to be a two-in-one episode because there are two avenues to go down when answering this question. The first is Paris Hilton's first and only studio album, Paris. Released in 2006, the album was produced by the likes of Scott Storch, J.R. Rodham, and Dr. Luke. It peaked at number 6 on the Billboard album charts, and its lead single, Stars Are Blind, peaked at number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming one of the highest-selling debut singles of 2006. Despite all that, the critical reception was pretty cold. Robert Christgau, one of the leading music critics in the world, called the album, quote, a bad record whose details rarely merit further thought. Entertainment Weekly called it often both inane and vaguely porny. And earlier this year, Pitchfork reviewed a reissue of the album, saying, With absolutely no surprises to offer, it's a committed extension of her brand, an album as giant and empty as a deflated Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon. The second avenue is her DJ career. Paris has been a DJ since 2012 and as such has found quick and long-term success. She had a five-year residency in Ibiza's coveted club Amnesia, which is one of the longest residencies from any American DJ. Yet, when people hear the phrase DJ Paris Hilton, they tend to roll their eyes and shut down the possibility that there's any legitimacy to what she does as a DJ. So those are the two things I want to talk about, the first being her pop career. But before I do that, let's set the scene a little bit. If you don't know, Paris Hilton is the great-granddaughter of Conrad Hilton, the founder of Hilton Hotels. After starting out as a model, she quickly became New York's preeminent socialite and had her face and name on almost every edition of every tabloid magazine. Then in 2003, two things catapulted her to international fame. One was a leaked sex tape of her that quickly caught widespread attention. The other was her show A Simple Life, which was a reality show that followed her and her friend Nicole Richie as they struggled to leave behind their privileged life and take on jobs such as farmers and fast food servers and camp counselors. Now, if anyone thought Paris was stupid and spoiled before, the show didn't really help. I don't what know. is Walmart? It's like they sell wall stuff? No. What is it? <laughs> Needless to say, none of these were great reasons to be famous in the mid-2000s. So most of the attention she got, which was a lot of attention, was negative. Then, in 2006, in the midst of all this infamy, she dropped her album Paris. While the announcement of the album was met with some skepticism, it definitely caught people's attention. I don't know, in 2006, if you cared about pop culture, you couldn't really not care about Paris Hilton to some degree. That's Rich Joswiak. 
I write about, you know, lots of stuff, including pop culture and uh, Paris Hilton from time to time. <laughs> Although I have to say that, uh, you know, while I'm completely happy to talk about this, going through it and having to listen to the record again was torturous to me. It's like, like you know, uh, writing about it for Pitchfork, doing that whole thing was sort of torturous. Oh, yeah. So Rich is the one who wrote that retrospective review of the album for Pitchfork. The review was in celebration of the album getting a vinyl reissue, a reissue whose purposefulness is completely beyond me. But either way, I asked Rich what it was like to return to this album after 14 years. Was there anything that you gained from like your second go around that you maybe didn't pick up on in 2006 that in retrospect, either positive or negative that you were like, oh, I never, now in 2020, I see it in a different light? You know, when I got the assignment, it was very early into quarantine. So the idea, you know, as much as like the entire album is kind of lost in the ether of pop culture, I do think that Stars Are Blind has uh, like a lot of people have a soft spot for that mm-hmm. song. So the idea of coming together in a crowd and hearing that song was just like, light years away it felt like at that point because I think I was writing this in March or April and so the idea that Paris Hilton could bring people together I guess was sort of novel and new to me. But that was where any affection he had for the album stopped. In his review Rich gave the album a 5.2 out of 10 which honestly for Pitchfork isn't as bad as I was expecting but it's not great. The tagline of Rich's review is the celebrity socialite's alluringly empty 2006 debut gets a vinyl reissue. It's a concept album whose concept is, what if Paris Hilton made an album? But no, I mean, I think the thing about this record is that it basically, you know, confirms everything she led you to believe about her. It's very mm. on brand in every way. What What is this record doing that that no other record has? And the only answer that you can give is that it's a, a record... By Paris Hilton. That's what this record is doing. Presenting you a pop record by Paris Hilton. So, what does a pop record by Paris Hilton sound like? This was my first time ever listening to this album from front to back. I'll be honest, there were a couple of pleasant surprises on here. The first was just how eclectic it was. As someone who's kind of guilty of being a sucker for mid-2000s nostalgia, I kind of delighted in how effectively the album encapsulated all of the popular sounds from that era. From the hip-hop influenced... to the pop rock, to, of course, the reggae-tinged pop, like on her hit single, Stars Are Blind. She isn't necessarily a great singer. In fact, at times she's quite bad. However, her voice as an instrument itself is surprisingly flexible and kind of sounds good in all of these genres. The problem is she was doing all of these genres during a time where there were a lot of women already doing it much better than she was doing it. If I want to hear, you know, a Kelly Clarkson, if I want to hear Since You've Been Gone, I'm going to listen to Since You've Been Gone and not Nothing in This World by Paris Hilton as serviceable as that might be i could still within a few keystrokes pull up the original you know that that song is ripping off 
The other problem is when you're an unenthusiastic singer making an album that's this all over the place, the most that you can hope for is hit or miss. I would say that it is a bad album with some very good moments. That's Stephen J. Horowitz. I am a journalist, previously at Billboard magazine, I've written for Rolling Stone, Vogue, Fader. I mean, the list goes on. Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> I, I don't need to read my resume. I've, I've, I've written around. Well, I mean, thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, of course. Would you One mind? of my favorite topics. <laughs> Paris Hilton, seriously. Stephen has covered Paris extensively and has even interviewed her a couple of times. He has mostly good things to say about her. She's awesome to talk to. She's really smart, very forthcoming, very friendly. Talking to Steven in part helped me place the album in a sort of historical context and figure out why its sound is so confused. The album was originally slated to be sort of a pop rock project, and Paris had recruited big name songwriters in that genre, like Caradilla Guardi, Rob Cavallo, and <sighs> cue the hard eyes emoji, JC Chazay. Then, in 2005, she met with someone who completely changed the album's direction. She worked primarily with Scott Storch, who was coming off of, like, enormous hits, like Terror Squad's Lean Back and... After this meeting, which occurred when she was already halfway through making the album, Paris recruited Storch, and the album started to lean... No pun intended a little bit more towards hip-hop and R&B, which kind of explains why the album has such a hodgepodge of genres. Teaming up with the then-infamous Storch maybe also escalated the ire that people might have had towards the project. By this point, and I don't know if you know a lot about Scott Storch's history, but he had like a full-blown cocaine addiction. He yeah. was spending money quicker than he was making it. And a lot of his music, I think, suffered because of the, you know, the stuff that was going on in his life. So you, you get you listen to that album and there are some really shitty songs. Like there's a song called Fighting Over Me yeah. from Fat Joe and Jada Kiss, which is just like such an arrogant, terribly done song. And Fighting Over Me is one of the most ridiculous songs I've ever heard. It's hilarious listening to someone put in so little effort as Paris does on her own song. Fighting Over Me features Jadakiss and Fat Joe, two of the biggest rappers at the time, trading verses as Paris every now and then interjects with one of the dumbest hooks of all time. Oh, a repetitive chorus too, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't she like say that? Yeah, every time I turn around, the boys fighting over me. Every time I step out the house, they want to fight over me. Maybe because I'm hot to death and I'm so, so, so sexy. All the boys, all the silly boys, they want to fight over me. So it's not even... This is far from the only song that I find comically bad. For instance, there's the opening track, Turn It Up, which sounds like someone blackfacing a Sierra. Uh, There's also the utterly unnecessary cover of Do You Think I'm Sexy? But I'll be honest, guys, I like this album a little bit more than I was prepared to. 
there are songs on here that I'm really into. I'm kind of a sucker for Stars Are Blind, which seemed to be her ace in the hole, even for people who weren't that into the idea of Paris being a pop star. I would dare to call it a classic single from the the 2000s. And I've been at clubs where that song comes on and people lose their mind over it. Like there's a certain attachment to it. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good record. That's a, the way I don't have the same relationship that some people do with it, which is just that they love this song so much. I think it's like nice. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a total ripoff, you know, of, yeah. a, of a reggae track of um, Lord Creator's Kingston town. The stars shine so bright, but they're fading at the dawn. There is magic and then there were songs like my personal favorite screwed but as i listened to the album even the high points there was a sort of undertone to the project that gave me a really gross vibe. I think what I was feeling is what a lot of people felt when they listened to this album, which was the sense that there was something almost morally wrong with the idea that someone like Paris could make a viable pop album. She seems to have no musical talent or interest, and the only reason that she's able to make passable pop music is because she has the capital to get the world's best writers, producers, and mixers to basically do it all for her. Also that she could just make even more money and get even more capital. The very existence of this album creates a borderline dystopian world. And ironically, it all makes the album feel kind of cheap. When you have that much and that much attention on you, cutting a pop record makes a certain amount of sense, I suppose. Like in a, I can do anything with my life because I have enough money to throw into it. So I might as well just do this kind of way. But that's a stupid reason to judge an album, isn't it? Because, first of all, yes, she has an endless supply of money to fund a project like this. But then again, so do major record labels. What Paris did by ensuring all the best people were in the room to make the album successful is no different than what any artist on any major record label does. Only difference with Paris is that the money she's spending is her own. Because, yeah, the celebrity aspect matters. But it's what you do with the actual talent beyond the celebrity that really makes the difference. You made me think about Shaq because he also, he he was part of a huge wave of, of celebrities and basketball, especially basketball players getting into rap. And Shaq had this like, had no shortage of wealth to sort of put into making this album. But when it came out, everyone's first response was like, oh, Shaq can actually kind of rap. I bring paper to the air like Craig Mack. Life's a B and then your D. Refer to Nasty Nas, Illmatic, CD, number three, static. You don't want none, you best to keep looking. A-E-I-O-U's the ass The other problem with judging the album on this basis is that these were all things that we already knew about the album before it got released. And none of it has to do with the actual music. And that brought me to the next question that I asked Stephen from Billboard. Do you think that um, do you think that that was sort of uh, an example of people sort of having written their reviews before listening to the album? A hundred percent. People were ready to write it off before hearing a single note, um, and I think that's part of what we were talking about earlier, where people automatically think that this was handed to her. So I think people were ready to critique it before hearing anything. But then you listen to the album and there are things you can critique. I mean, 
it's uneven. She can't sing very well. Uh, there are, the music choices are just, some of them are embarrassing. But then there are moments like Stars Are Blind and Screwed to me, which I think is, like, as I mentioned, is, a, I think, a great song. Um, and I think those are moments that you can look at and say, there are some good things going on here. You don't have to like it, but you can't deny that there's some potency to a little part of it, if that's how much you want to give it. So I brought this up to Rich. How did you, did you find that hard to like sort of say, okay, let me really listen to this album. Let me like really see if there's like, you know, something here. Was that, was it hard to sort of fight that urge to like just spill it all out before like giving it an honest chance? Well, you know, I don't think so because the record is so much about her. Uh, it is. It contains her catchphrases. <laughs> it, many of the songs are about how hot she is and her being at the club. Mm. So, you know, I think I, I think a yes, she was obviously a target. But b, it, it's the case with all of these sort of like very famous people with tons of opportunities, which is like, yeah, people shit on you, but you know what? Like important people don't, and they're elevating you. So Mm. in the scheme of things, the negativity that she receives bears far less on her life than the positivity and the people who do like her. And while she may face, you know, Look, the 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 quote sex tape thing, which is, you know, today we would call revenge porn. I think mm-hmm. that she received a ridiculous amount of criticism, unfair criticism for that. I mean, right. watch Pink's stupid girl video where she makes fun of her. And it's like, what are you making fun of her for? Having right. sex? Like filming it? Because, you know, uh, now like, you know, almost 20 years later, so many people do that. And they don't deserve to have their private lives shared, you know. So mm-hmm. while I agree that she has taken unfair shots, I think that she has also by virtue of the fact that she really hasn't had very much to say. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's unfair to receive criticism. I think if you live in public, you're going to receive criticism just like you will receive praise. And she has received so much praise. So, um, no, I think that I think because the concept is Paris Hilton makes an album that she is completely fair game and that her persona, uh, it is actually you do a disservice to ignore that. So, if, if, there's a question as to whether or not there's bias going into it. She hasn't done nearly enough to mitigate that on this album. Thus, you know, that's how I evaluated it. I, mm. You look at her persona. She's, she's selling the persona here, as usual. He raises an interesting point. If the album is solely meant to supplement the image that Paris has been cultivating for almost a decade, then maybe bringing biases against that image into reviewing this album is fair game. But for me, I think if there's a valid reason to hate this album, it's because it couldn't be clear that Paris just did not give a shit about it. There's an apathy and emptiness that sort of underscores even the best songs on here. The whole album is like a face with too much Botox. Sometimes beautiful, but ultimately lacking any emotion. And if Paris doesn't care about this music, why the hell should I? I I just, I have a really big problem with mediocrity, you know, coming in to infect pop music. I don't want it mediocre. These are supposed to be like our gods. Right. And uh, I don't want a mediocre God. So, and there's plenty of... 
but this is probably the starkest difference between her career as a pop artist and her career as a DJ. Because unlike making pop music, Paris has been consistently DJing around the world for over eight years. Not unlike the album, people were pretty skeptical as to what a DJ Paris Hilton would look like and whether or not she was coming by it honestly. But this really doesn't seem to be a quick cash grab for her. By all appearances, she seems to be taking it really seriously. Yeah, that's a big topic because I think this dates back to when she put out her solo album back in, I want to say, 2006. That's Stephen Horowitz again. People didn't take her seriously then as a musician, and I think she even talked about it in her interview with me where she was saying that uh, people are starting to take her more seriously, um, though there will always be people who are detractors or non-believers or hate her for the sake of hating her or whatever. Um, so. I think it's expected that she would face that, that sort of roadblock as a DJ, um, but I also was not really surprised that she takes it seriously because to have success in that realm, you can't just do it off of your name alone. You have to have some basic foundational element of skill. He has a point. I don't think it's all that easy to sustain a DJ career on name alone, especially considering the fact that, let's be honest, Paris's name doesn't rule the world the same way it did a decade ago. In the documentary, they show that she takes it super duper seriously. She she does all of her sets, uh, you know, uniquely for each performance. And she's a big music fan. And to the degree that she's producing records, or, you know, is a, a studio with, I mean, I think it's fair to assume that she's not, but mm -hmm. you can't really take away from the fact that she gets up in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people at these festivals and manages to put together a set that is consistent. So why are the eye rolls that she gets as a DJ so persistent? Part of it has to do with the baggage that comes with being a celebrity DJ. Paris is definitely not the only big-name celebrity that has tried their hand at DJing. Others include Jersey Shore's Polly D, Shaquille O'Neal, and even Elijah Woods. Every time a non-musical celebrity enters the DJ world, it's met with a backlash from the DJ community. But I don't think any of these celebrities have found as much success or ire as Paris Hilton. In 2015, for example, the Italian edition of DJ Magazine, one of, if not the biggest DJ publication in the world, put Paris on the cover, calling her the most successful female DJ in the world. The backlash on this was pretty severe. DJs and lifelong EDM fans turned their noses up at the idea that someone like Paris should be considered as a legitimate DJ. I personally don't have that close of a relationship with DJ culture, so I couldn't fully empathize with people who think that putting Paris on the cover of DJ Magazine is problematic. So I decided to reach out to some people who could, and luckily I found a pretty great place to start. My name's Carl Loban and I'm the editor-in-chief of DJ Magazine. I had a conversation with Carl about the Italian edition cover and why someone like Paris gets such a backlash from the DJ community. Well, with Paris Hilton in particular, when she started, there was, I think there was understandable resentment that this spoiled little rich girl could just walk in and get juicy gigs that were paid a hundred times better than DJs who'd toiled away for years in kind of toilet venues. You know, it can take um, years to get anywhere in a DJ career, especially if you learn to produce your own music as well. Paris didn't go through any of this kind of like um, apprenticeship 
at all or, or hard, years of hard graft and hard work. She was just catapulted straight onto the main stage, stages of big events and festivals without having paid her dues and, and served her time sort of getting to know the music, practicing, DJing and, and so on. I think this is understandable. If someone's been DJing all their lives and climbing their ranks from the very bottom, I get why it's frustrating to see Paris cut the line without having honed her skills. And, you know, when she started DJing, she had a little helper, a guy who would sort of hide beneath the decks and reach up and sort of do some mixing for her. Oh, yeah. So we should talk about this. Early on in her DJ career, a photo went viral of what seemed to be a man popping out from behind Paris's turntables to adjust some knob. People in the DJ community then began spreading that around, saying, see, someone's doing all the work for her, she doesn't know how to DJ. Now, it's worth saying that in the Paris documentary, Paris says that the man was a stagehand, who briefly appeared on stage because there was some technical problem that needed quick solving, and that he was by no means doing any of the actual DJing for her. But needless to say, this provided ample ammo to use against someone who already had a huge target on her back. Maybe it's true that she's lying, and earlier in her career she needed a helping hand. As a DJ, that would make it all the more annoying that she's granted access to these high-paying gigs when she doesn't actually know how to DJ. But now it's 2020, and she's had almost a decade to refine her DJing. So, has she? As someone who knows next to nothing about DJing, I genuinely have no way of knowing if Paris is any good, so I wanted to reach out to some people who do. There was an obvious person to reach out to first. Ah! Fucking finally! <laughs> that's Gabe Rivas, an excellent DJ and a great friend of mine. If you don't recognize his voice, that's probably a good thing because it means you didn't listen to my DJ Khaled episode. It was probably like Jay-Z that took him aside and be like... Uh, hey, D hey, DJ Khaled. Uh, listen, man. <laughs> l l listen, man. Look, is Jay Z I having sex in this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jay Z. I asked Gabe if Paris was a DJ worth respecting, strictly on a technical level. My natural inclination, you know, coming from my background as a musician, is to like look at some of, look at Paris Hilton's like bona fide DJ skills, if you will, right? Mm. So for me, what I'm looking for is like, okay, this is hypothetical, but I'll go into YouTube and be like, Paris Hilton DJ set, and I'll try and look for, you know, different sets that she has. And I know, I mean, I know she has quite a resume. She fucking played Tomorrowland last year. And like, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is me. I'm going to bash Paris Hilton a little bit, but. Do it. Yeah, I listened to some of her sets and I was just like, oof, those transitions are kind of rough. And surprisingly, really? surprisingly, she um, <laughs> she likes to use a lot of the same songs in different sets. So I was just like, "Ooh, ooh, is that is and that's taboo." I mean, it's just it's kind of like it tells me as a DJ and as a musician that your library is really small, and that you know, I, I you you gotta bring you gotta bring more mm. to the table than just your like top thirty songs in your crate as a EDM, you know, big room house DJ like Paris Hilton is, you're looking for the seamlessness. You're looking for the smooth transitions from one track into the next track. So that's mm -hmm. beat matching. That's, you know, if, if you want to, if you know about, okay, I'm going to talk like technical shit now. You know, mm -hmm. the Camelot mixing wheel, which is uh, a classification for songs that have different keys and you can allow, it allows you to basically 
map different songs along this mixing wheel and like that song is compatible with this song you know based on this scale and, and so on and so forth so it wasn't that great but what she was trying to do i was just like bam interesting Ten okay years, dang and that's it boo boo like come <laughs> on As I tried to get more detail on what a quote-unquote good DJ looks like, Gabe and I got more into the weeds about gear and how, in comparison to, say, 20 years ago, technology has made becoming a DJ much more accessible for people like Paris. You're making this, this, you know, this pastime, this, you know, what what can be a passion for a lot of people, you're making it more accessible Mm -hmm. for for people. And the thing is, DJing already, as it is right now, even with all the digital stuff, it's an expensive hobby. Like it's equipment isn't cheap. Mm. Software isn't cheap. It's not easy for anyone to just to get into. You need money, you need a few hundred bucks. And then like the top of the line stuff, like if I want to, you know, a full, full on, you know, uh, MIDI mixer with two CDJs, it's going to set me back three, $4,000 Damn. with the latest technology. So the advent of technology, right. It makes it more accessible, but it's bad because it essentially, makes it very easy to dj and it just basically makes the dj experience a lot easier to get into and a lot easier for people with larger you know brands you know with with celebrity status to be able just to get into that and run away with it and then just become these big performers and right but you also like you also touched on something that i didn't even really think about which is that unlike being like you know uh, a burgeoning singer songwriter the fact that you need money in order to like get all this equipment, like that makes me understand a little bit more why like somebody might be mad at Paris Hilton who like, like it's nothing to her to drop money on, on that equipment. I like didn't think about like the class (laughs) issue of it all of like how easy it is for somebody, someone like Paris to like get access to that equipment. Whereas like other people who might have more natural talent and who might be more like, of that community can't really afford to like use the kind of stuff that she's using. Yeah. That's something yeah, like, I, there's plenty of equipment that I'd love to get, but I can't fucking afford it. I'm not <laughs> ready to drop a thousand dollars on like the latest mixer. Hell no. I got bills to pay. <laughs> but So when we talk about why DJs hate Paris, we need to talk about status and the lack of meritocracy in the EDM industry. But both Carl and Gabe made a point to talk about what might be the biggest thing in Paris's way? The fact that she is a woman DJ? Mm. I'm going to stick up for her now. And I think that some of the, the hate that she experiences is actually partly some good old-fashioned sexism in, in, a, in a kind of girls called DJ kind of way. Now, in the last episode about the Chainsmokers, I talked about how rife EDM culture is with misogyny. In the case of the Chainsmokers, the victims of that misogyny were mostly the fans. In this case, it's the artist. DJs like Paris are automatically swimming against the current simply because they're women. And the more I talked about this with Gabe and Carl, the more I thought, hmm, I probably shouldn't be talking about this with a bunch of other dudes. Luckily, there's no shortage of women who are not only amazing DJs, but who do great work lifting up the female DJ community. I got to talk to one of these women, Umfang. Umfang is an amazing New York-based DJ and one of the founders of Disc Woman, a collective dedicated to showcasing cis women, trans women, and genderqueer EDM artists. 
I called her up in part to talk about the role sexism might play and how Paris is perceived as a DJ. But before we get into all that, I wanted to know, what are your general feelings towards Paris Hilton as a DJ? I'm actually a fan, um, but it's so complex. She seems to kind of stand apart from her her peers in being this individual person. And I thought that this aspect of her character that she plays as Paris Hilton, um, it's like, it makes sense. But I also think I was fascinated for like the cheekiness of it. <laughs> but then it's like been so consistent, which is surprising to me. And I think that she actually does really love it. And then I, this weekend I watched the documentary that came out on, mm. on her on YouTube. Um, and now I'm like fully convinced that, that it is really genuine for her and it is her, her solace and her escape. Um, I think that the reality is that she's completely disconnected from the, like the roots of, of what it is and the political aspects of like playing an EDM festival for a million dollars versus um, kind of what it came out of and that not being wealth. But it's also interesting to note that when she moved to New York as a teenager, she was a part of the deeply underground scene mm. and she was really engaged with the sort of release that it gave her being a part of an underground community through observing her, even in a documentary, you can tell that she actually does care and she wants to deliver a genuine experience for people. The the things that you've seen, which I, I, I don't know how much it is of her actually DJing, have you have you been impressed? Like, how, how do you feel of her as a DJ in terms of like her skill set? It's really hard to gauge. Um, I liked that in that documentary, she's arranging her tracks up until like the minute she's out of the car that feels really realistic mm. but I think with EDM DJs and people that use electronic um, DJ software a lot of it is planned ahead in a way that like it's sort of hard to tell what's actually happening happening live mm. and it's really far away from the kind of tactile experience of DJing vinyl so I don't even feel like I can judge that it's and it's like EDM DJs in general I feel like so often it's quite formulaic and I think she prides herself on knowing what she's doing and actually DJing and I'll, I'll believe, I'll believe her. I brought up my conversation with Carl from DJ Magazine and asked her about what it must be like for DJs to see Paris sort of cut the line and, and bypass all these hoops that most up and coming DJs have to go through. Do you think people are right to sort of say, well, that's, <laughs> that's not really that fair. No, totally. I mean, it's, I guess the another important thing to consider is that people's sort of denial that it is an industry. So it's mm. like um, she absolutely has <laughs> immense amounts of privilege and access due to her wealth and her celebrity status um, and the family she was born into. So yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> but a lot of the EDM scene is about celebrity and about like sort of showing wealth and it, it is like a, an aesthetic and a costume not really founded in everyday reality like it is a performance um mm. yeah it's totally not fair no no one <laughs> no one says it's fair right um, 
So that brought us to talking about the DJ Magazine cover. I asked her if people are right to be upset that Paris has been given attention that other, maybe more deserving female DJs could be getting. I just think of it as kind of different fields. Like there isn't a way that, there is no possibility of competition for like, for an underground DJ who's really uh, into technical skill versus uh, Paris's marketing team. Like, I think that that, again, is sort of a comment on people's denial of how much capitalism controls the industry. You know, it's like there is no way to, to compete with that, that level of, of marketing access and branding. Like, she knows that she's been branding herself since she was a teenager, and that's an important part of her business plan. I do believe that she's picking songs that she likes and she's DJing them, but... It's just a totally different economy. And I think DJ Mag is catering toward that economy and that's shame on them. Mm, interesting. Do, but do you, do you buy that some of that backlash is rooted in just like run of the mill sexism? I'm, I'm, I struggle to think of who it's like, if it wasn't, if it's not her, it's just going to be another hyper femme uh, celebrity woman that's Mm. that has that role i think so i think no matter who is in that position of being the number one woman dj in the world that that backlash is going to be there in the same way that's how i feel but that's why representation is so important right because if the only barrier to success is your gender that means we need women like umfang to prove that gender and merit don't go hand in hand the question is is Paris capable of being one of those women? Is Paris's success good for female DJs? One answer is, of course she is, because with a name as big as Paris, she probably is a DJ that introduced a lot of people to the world of EDM. You know, she had this um, residency for two or three summers in Ibiza, which mm. was, I understand, pretty pretty popular. You know, it's, it, 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 was, it was frowned upon by more by people who are more purist in the scene. But... Um, but you know, there's, there's it's horses for courses. There's different strokes for different folks. You know, so it's, it's going to be for some people. It might be the first time they've ever heard electronic music in a kind of club environment, and they're drawn there by her. And and she's almost like a gateway to to people then going on to experience kind of maybe um, more discerning DJs in the future. This is something that I've already talked about a lot. I've done it on this show when talking about bands like Mumford & Sons and Nickelback, and I've done it on my website talking about Pitbull. When we deny the legitimacy of an entertainer like Paris, we deny the legitimacy of any music fan who, one way or another, found the music that they loved through Paris. And if someone's first introduction to EDM culture was Paris, that means that their first image of what a DJ was, was a woman. We need Paris Hilton, believe it or not. I never thought I'd be fucking saying that, but we actually need Paris Hilton in EDM. Like she is, she's an important part of it. We need more Mm. women DJs. Fuck all these dudes. All these dudes have done a ton of shit already. We don't care about these dudes. Like let women break some of these barriers. Let them get to the top, you know, let, let them get to the top, not on the basis of their gender, but on the basis of their skill. Like, Mm. That's what I want to see in EDM. Umfang was only a little bit convinced by this theory. Yeah, and it is such an interesting position, too, that she also speaks about how everyone doubts her being a woman, and she is 
it is a fact that she is the highest paying woman DJ in the world. And it's like, well, what would it be like without her? Like, is Hmm. that important? Does that resonate and trickle down into the underground when someone achieves so much as a business person in this realm? Um, I'm not really sure. Maybe like optically it does, Hmm. but it definitely isn't helping the finances of anyone else. Uh, but while Umfang might be a little bothered by Paris's success and is skeptical of how much it's actually helping the career of other women, she was really clear that her issue is not with Paris herself. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just like, she's kind of like a the like emblem of a different conversation in my mind, where it's like, what are we... And I guess it's something that's like a theme in this this time of coronavirus and racial justice transformation. It's just like, who are we really mad at? Are we mad at the system? Are we mad at the person? And it's like, I think it's just so obvious that her, she's a, a product of an environment and she's succeeded in her goal. And the fact that press affirms that is more what I'm mad at. So I think that there's a terribly unbalanced economy happening. And I don't really know if that's her fault. You know, it's like there's the EDM bookers that have chosen that it's a good idea to pay someone a million dollars for an hour instead of trying to find something different and more interesting. So it's like, I think she gets this blame, but actually it's like the huge music industry structure that, is encouraging this sort of thing to happen. I'm curious about like, does she can like have a concept of redistribution of wealth? Like, I don't, I don't know. And I, I don't think so. <laughs> wish that she did. You know? Yeah. And that has been one of my main takeaways from doing this episode because almost everyone I talk to, even the harshest critics of Paris's music, don't actually think that her music is the biggest issue. I've never liked her racism and it's documentation and that has always been in my head a lot of that stuff leaked after this record came out but there was already stories about it that's yeah where and it's like super casual and blatant you know if you're gonna hate paris hilton hate her for the right reasons like i think i she has a, a, a pretty spotty history when it comes to you know certain things like racial issues voting for trump uh, things like that that really speak to her character. Mm. I, but you know, I think hating her for being successful as a DJ is really stupid. So if I'm gonna hit the skip button on a song like "Screwed," it's gonna be because it's sung by a racist, Trump-supporting proponent of all the evils and dangers of capitalism. It will not be because that song is not a bop. guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of the skip button i really hope you enjoyed it if you have go ahead and rate and subscribe and spread the word word of mouth especially really helps so thank you guys so much in advance a special thanks to everyone who reached out to talk to me about paris hilton whether or not you ended up on the show everyone was so helpful um you can find stephen j horowitz's writing at stephenjhorowitz.com 
As I mentioned, Carl Lobin is the editor-in-chief of DJ Magazine. You can check out more of their content at djmag.com. Gabe Rivas is part of a DJ duo with my other friend Kevin Kim. You can find them on Instagram at gk underscore 305. That's always in the letter. Check out Umfang's music anywhere you stream, and go check out her label, Thanks for Enlightening Me, which is on Bandcamp. Uh, like I mentioned, Umfang is one of the founders of Disc Woman. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about some of the amazing female DJs out there and how to support them, uh, go to their website, discwoman.com. That's disc with a C, because that's a great place to start. Uh, I just wanted to take a minute to say that obviously all artists are struggling right now during this pandemic, uh, but DJs are in an especially hard position given that most of their work involves bringing people together in a live setting, which obviously is impossible right now. So anything you guys can do to support them, like buying their music on Bandcamp or checking out their merch, can really make a difference. You can check out more content like this at theskipbutton.com where you can not only find all of my episodes, but also check out some of my writing where I go into more details about the episodes and cover some topics that I didn't have time to get to on the show. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at skipbuttonpodcast where I will continue to announce future episodes. So keep an eye out for those and please, please, please do not hesitate to give me your two cents. As per usual, getting to talk to both friends and strangers for this show has been a consistent high point in this horrible year so please keep it coming uh in the meantime i really hope you guys have a great holiday and i will talk to you next time on the skip button bye guys <laughs>